Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me today to 2 Corinthians? We're in chapter 2 today in verses 12 through 17. Now, we've been in a little mini-series. As we walk through this book, I'll do this right along. And what we're talking about right now, this is part 4 of when your walk matches your talk. And I want to entitle today's specific message in verses 12 through 17 as Experiencing Christ. Experiencing Christ. I wonder how many times, all of us, and we're all in the same boat, how many times do we have to hear it before we finally get it? I know when I took algebra in school, my teacher was so excited when she saw the look on my face when the third time I'd taken the same course, I finally got it. You know, teachers look for that, that uh, aha. You know, I remember my Spanish teacher never had that look on her face because <laughs> I never got it. You know, I've told you this story many times, but I want to tell it in light of this very same, same thing. When are we going to get it? About the two moose hunters that were going up to Alaska to hunt, and uh, they were flying in a pontoon plane. I've always wanted to do this, so I love telling the story. And as they were landing on this lake, there was this serene, beautiful cabin there that was, was smoke coming out of the chimney. And it was going to be two weeks of just heaven. These had to be two preachers that were hunting because they just looked at it as therapy. Anything that moves, shoot it. <laughs> anyway. And so when they, when they got up to the dock, the guy flying the plane, he said, now listen, guys, I'm coming back to pick you up in two weeks. Each of you have a moose tag. Now, you can take the antlers out, but you can't take the carcasses of two moose on this plane because it won't fly. It, it, it is too heavy. It's too much weight. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, sir, we understand. Two weeks later, he's coming back in to pick them up. There's a front coming in, and as he's circling the lake, looking down at the dock, he sees the hunters, and they've got all their stuff out there, and there are the carcasses wrapped up of two moose. And he's thinking, oh, man. So he lands the plane and pulls up and says, God, don't you understand anything? You told me you understood when I left. You can't take two carcasses out of here. It's too much weight. One of them spoke up. You know, there's always one. And he said, I was here last year. And the pilot told us exactly the same thing. Now, come on, man. There's a front coming in. We've heard this spill before. And so, sure enough, they talked him into it. They put one pontoon and one carcass on one pontoon, tied it to it, took the other carcass, tied it to the other pontoon, put the rest of the stuff in the plane. 
He gets up at one end of the lake. He's got to have so much speed because he's got to clear the trees. And he's spitting screws out of those engines. I mean, he's got those things running so hard and so fast. And as he comes down that lake, he pulls back on it, and it looks like he just might make it. It's coming up. It's rising. It's rising. It's rising. Well, you know the story. It hit the trees, and they crashed. Thank the Lord nobody was killed. They were laying around, beat up, bruised up, bleeding. One hunter looked at that other hunter who had spoken up, and he says, where are we? He said, you know, I don't know, but I think we're about 200 yards from where we crashed last year, you know. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is with scriptural truth? You think about what I'm telling you. How many times have we got to hear something? Now, let me ask you a question. How far are you from where you crashed the last time you heard this truth, you see? You hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. When are we going to, as individual believers, get it, you see? You see, years ago, Henry Blackaby and Claude King put together a, a series, a workbook series called Experiencing God. I hadn't heard about it. Dinah happened to be in a women's study, and they found out about it. She read through it. She couldn't wait to get home, and she said, Wayne, this is what you've been preaching for 12 years. I looked at it, and I said, well, look at this. Letting Jesus be Jesus in you. How, how novel. <laughs> and, and this is all about joining Jesus and what he's already up to. This is what the Christian life is. So we trained about 2,500 people in that particular course. But here's the thing that got me. The people that were going through the course would come to me and say, Wayne, did you hear what they said in that book? Jesus is our life. Jesus wants to live his life through you. And I just looked at them. And I thought to myself, I've been preaching it for 12 years. And it showed me something. And, and it proved it again. It's been proven over and over again. You teach it, you teach it, you teach it, you teach it. But it's not just taught. It has to be caught. The Holy Spirit has to reveal that truth to our heart. And I'll tell you when it'll come. It'll come in a moment of desperation. You see, if you're not desperate, you don't understand what I'm talking about. There's too much of us to understand it. But when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when it becomes clear to us we can't. God never said we could. He can. He always said he would. Experiencing God is what Christianity is all about. It's not some cold manufactured religion. It's a relationship and walking with him, enjoying the journey. That's what it's all about. When you and I as believers finally see and admit, and this is the hardest thing for our flesh, admit what we can't do. I mean, we live in a society that says you can't say I can't. And Jesus said, you better say you can't, because until you come to that place, you'll never recognize how he says he can. And the moment we come to that place, that's when we get to experience the life that's been there all along. We get to experience what He can do through us as opposed to what we cannot do for Him. Only then will our walk match our talk. That's what we've been talking about. That's when Christianity takes root. That's when they, people begin to understand what we really are. This is what Paul's referring to in Ephesians chapter 4. For three chapters, Paul taught them about who and whose they were. If you ever want to know who you are in Christ and whose you are in Christ, study Ephesians. And he comes down and shows them how to appropriate it by faith. He said, be strengthened in the inner man. Then he said, by, let Christ dwell in your hearts by your faith. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, they've heard it, they've heard it, and they've heard it. Then he says this, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling. The word calling means everything that's involved in your salvation with which you have been called. The word worthy is axios. Axios simply means to balance something. We can walk around and sing about all these truths. We can tell other people about these truths, but until they get out of our head and down into our heart, we haven't balanced the scales. It's too heavy on the, on the talking side. It's not balanced on the walking side. That's what he's talking about. Live a life that's worthy of your calling. I can't make you walk in a manner worthy. You can't make me walk in a manner worthy. We can encourage each other, but I'll tell you one thing. By studying 2 Corinthians, we can all be challenged by a type A personality, Paul. I mean, you're talking about a driven man, a man who came to the end of himself and how God transformed him and allowed him then to become the apostle of grace in the New Testament. But we can learn a lot about him. We have seen in 2 Corinthians already examples of how he has experienced Christ in his life. You know, the Corinthian church had really frustrated him, frustrated him, disappointed him with their false accusations, their unwillingness to deal with sin in the body, it, particularly this one individual that was causing so much division and bringing all kinds of, of deceptive things against the apostle Paul, even questioning his apostleship. Paul experienced, however, Christ when he ran to him for comfort. He experienced the comfort of God in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The cruelty of their flesh inside that church and what that had done to Paul, it, it went, ran deep. But Paul ran to Jesus. He ran to him and experienced the comfort only Christ could give. The difficult circumstances of his life. Later, over in Asia, he talks about it to them. Drove him to the point of desperation. He thought he was going to be killed. And in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1, in that moment of total weakness, expecting to die, he experienced Christ. He experienced the delivering power of Christ, of how Christ drew him to himself. And he said, not only did he deliver us here, he will deliver us, and yet one day he truly will deliver us. He experienced God. He experienced the power of a pure conscience in verse 12. As Christ in him purified his heart and his motives, before all men. In verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 6, we, we saw how he experienced Christ to keep on keeping on. That's the hardest thing in the world when people don't appreciate you, and yet Christ in you, Christ in Paul, kept him keeping on. And when people intentionally misrepresented him, took a situation that he said he was coming to see them, and he didn't, but he had good reason, but they never gave him the benefit of the doubt. Even in the midst of that, he kept on keeping on. He experienced Christ in him. He experienced the assurance of Christ. Christ continued to, to show him he'd validate his life. Don't worry about it. Paul didn't have to defend himself. Christ in him would be his defense. He experienced the boldness of Christ when he had to say the tough things out of love to the Corinthian church so they could get it and so that they could then be set free to, to experience God in their life. And in verse 6 through 12 of chapter 2, he experienced the sensitivity of Christ. You see, this whole letter, this whole epistle of 2 Corinthians was written in response to how they had received that third, that infamous third letter that we don't have. It was lost. Actually, 2 Corinthians would be the fourth letter that he had written to him. Two of them are lost. And he was so excited that they had gone on and dealt with this errant brother in, in the service uh, there in the church. 
that he was just, he wrote in response, but then he, he experienced Christ in him. The man they had disciplined had not hurt them as much, yet he had hurt them, but they, he had really hurt Paul. But Paul, with the love of God in him, experiencing Christ in him, was led to write to them and say, listen, you've gone far enough. Now forgive him and comfort him. Come alongside him. Get him back into the, into the kingdom's work. Let him be useful again. Experiencing God, knowing and participating in the fullness of Christ's life is what Christianity is all about. It's not about trying to perform for God with some cold religious uh, decree hanging over your head so that he might be impressed. That's not, that's not Christianity. The Christian life is all about being conquered by Christ daily so that we could come to that place of saying, not I, but Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. Well, today, we're going to look a little deeper into that. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. Let me read the text for you. Then we'll come back to it. Verse 12, now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Troas or Titus, my brother, for taking my leave of them. I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death and the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we're not like many peddling the word of God. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We're going to look deeper today and find three things in Paul's life. And you could make a list so long in Corinthians of how when, when we experience Jesus, what are some of the things we're going to experience? And we're going to see this in his life today. When we choose to say yes to him and allow him to overcome us, what do we experience? First of all, when we experience Christ, we will see doors, now listen carefully, open for ministry. When we experience Christ, we're going to see doors open for ministry. Doors that no man can close. It's so awesome when we start experiencing God because we don't have to come up with ministry anymore. I don't know how many of you grew up a different way. I grew up to where if you don't come up with it, God can't get it done. Anybody else in here besides me come up that way? I want you to know that is not biblical, but that's the way I was taught growing up. In Christ, ministry is received from God, not achieved for God. Verse 12, now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. Paul, led by God's Spirit, went to Troas for the purpose of the gospel of Christ. That was his whole life. And the gospel of Christ does not mean just for lost people. It also means for saved people. That's what he said to the church of Rome. I can't wait to get to you to preach the gospel to you. The good news doesn't stop when you get saved. It continues on. But Paul had been to Troas once before. And if you know that story from Acts, when he was trying to get into Bithynia and trying to get into Asia, and God squeezed him down to Troas. It was there that he had the Macedonian vision. And thank God he said yes to it because he crossed over that sea, and when he got to Macedonia, that was the first church, Christian church, in Europe because of his willingness to obey. 
And that's a story in itself from the book of Acts. But this time, when he went to Troas, he went to minister to the people, and when he got there, God opened a door for him. Paul didn't open it. It's in a passive voice. A door was opened for him. God opened it. It's so interesting to me how many people, how many believers don't understand this truth. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can. <laughs> Is the mentality of the so-called Christian ministry in the 21st century. Why, we built my business from scratch, brother. Let me at it. I can help God out. God is so proud to have me on his team. I just can't get, wait to get to work for him. That's the mentality of so many people. But God's word says entirely opposite. We can't do it, but he can. Experiencing God's opening doors of ministry is an awesome thing. The door opening for ministry in Troas wasn't the first time this has happened to the Apostle Paul. If you carefully look at his life, this statement has been said over and over again. This is the philosophy of his whole ministry. When he returned from his first missionary journey, when he went into southern Galatia and Antioch of Pisidia and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, he came back and he called the church together to make a report. He doesn't relate what he did. He relates how God used him and what God did. Acts 14, 27, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul understood that. He says the same thing about his ministry in Ephesus. And you know he spent a lot of time with the Ephesian church. And that, remember when on the island of Miletus when, when they came and the, and the elders of the church were so grieved that they wouldn't see Paul again. I mean, there was a love relationship here. A lot of teaching went into the, to the church at Ephesus. And he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, concerning that church and ministry, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me. In other words, I didn't open it. And there are many adversaries. When Paul was in prison, he wanted so much to be used of God. He didn't strategize how to do this and how to do that. In chapter 4, verse 3 of Colossians, he says, praying at the same time for us as well. Pray for us, he says, that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Now, this is not some mystical thing. This doesn't deny abilities or human abilities in that sense. I mean, God's not trying to discredit anybody. But what it is, it, it's reality. When we surrender to Christ, He opens doors of ministry. We get to join Him in what He's already doing. In our text of 2 Corinthians 2.12, the, the verb there, a door was open, was open, the verb is in the perfect tense. You say, what does that mean? It means it was opened, and, it, and, it, and since God opened it, it was going to stay open until God chose to close it. In other words, you don't have to worry. When God opens something up, he keeps the door open. It stays open. In other words, ministry that's received from God does not have to be sustained by man. God keeps the door open. Like in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8 when he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no man, no one can shut. There's no man that can shut the door. When God opens it, man cannot close it. Now, why is this so important? Why am I bearing down on this truth right here? I want to tell you something, folks, and I hope you don't miss this. 
In verse 13, Paul had to walk away. Now listen carefully from an open door of ministry. You say, what? You're kidding me. God opened a door and he walked away? That's right. You know why? He was concerned for a brother whose name was Titus. He was concerned for him. Verse 13 says, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. You see, that third letter, that infamous third letter that we don't have was most likely sent, and everything points right to it, by Titus. Titus had to take that letter to the Corinthian church. Remember Paul said, to spare you sorrow, I wrote you a letter instead of coming to you. And Titus took that letter to them. That's that's when Paul went to Troas, the the door of ministry was open. That's where he was going to meet Titus. Journeys back then were dangerous. There were robbers everywhere. I mean, it wasn't, it's pretty much like today. (laughs) I started to say it wasn't like today. Pretty much like today. There's certain parts of Albuquerque I'd rather not be at certain times at night. You know, it's just, it's just you just sort of learn to, to be smart. And, and when you get on those open roads in those days, if they thought you had any money, buddy, you were, you were a target for the muggers and the robbers of that day. Paul had been taking up an offering for the hurting churches and people over in Judea. And, and, and Timothy had, I mean, Titus had been helping him take that offering. And Paul didn't know that maybe somebody found out he had money on him and mugged him along the way. He didn't show up at Troas. So in verse 13, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. God in Paul gave Paul no rest. It's interesting how God stirs your heart when a brother's hurting. Everybody doesn't get the same stirring for the same brother. But God will put on your heart the brother he wants you to be stirred about because of his concern for Titus. And as a result, Paul felt it necessary, God in him, to walk away from a door of ministry to take care of perhaps a hurting friend, a friend that might be in trouble. Christ in Paul made Paul sensitive to people around him that he could actually walk away from a door open unto ministry and go find him. I had no rest from my spirit, not finding Titus my brother. But taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. You say, Wayne, what are you saying? I'm not with you. Well, hang on. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. When we open doors for ministry ourselves, then, my friend, we have to keep them open. The ministry is up to us. What we initiate we now are bound to sustain, no matter what it cost us. And I'll tell you part of the expense. Part of the expense, and this is the sad thing about fleshly ministry, the sad thing is that our family, our friends go by the wayside. Why? Because we can't leave that ministry. We have to stay and keep it propped up at the expense of everyone else around us. That's what this world calls being driven. Our family can fall apart. Our friends can fall apart. But all we stuck to the course as we hold the doors of ministry open that we opened. I had the privilege this past week of speaking to one of the largest in the world Christian businessmen's organizations. They had their leadership team from all over the United States, and they asked me to come in and speak on the grace message. I didn't know until my second message that these people, the whole group had been started by Ian Thomas, the saving life of Christ. I didn't know that. 
So what I was doing was not teaching them something new. What I was doing was rehearsing where they came from. And I had men in that ministry walk up to me, tears streaming down their face. They said, Wayne, thank you. You're sent. They said, God, God has opened our eyes to realize we spend all of our time in meetings. We spend all of our time around a table strategizing and coming up with a plan. And we spend very little time on our face before God, knowing that if God opens a door, God can't close. He won't close that door. No man can close it. God can close it, but no man can close it. And he said, we have to come back to where we began. I'm speaking to you today to have that type A personality. It's all up to you. You drive everything. You control everything. And you take that mentality into ministry, you have just hit a brick wall. And your relationships will fall apart. People will be devastated. Why? Because you're having to prop up that which you came up with. But when God opens the door, no man can close. I've been there. I can't point a finger at anybody today. I've been there. I remember the days when I was in church recreation. All I knew was 16 hours a day at the, war, at the building, regardless of what was going on in my family. I had to be there. We had to make the building debt-free in two years, and I had to do it. You can do it, Wayne. You can do it. You can do it. You can. And I look back at it, and my heart breaks. That Dinah had to be at home, and those two little children, where's Wayne? Oh, he's holding up the ministry that he initiated. See, those who walk with God can rest in him. They can rest in him. And they can understand that if God opens that door, no man can close it. As it says in the book of Job, no man thwarts the purposes of God. When God initiates something, God sustains it. That doesn't mean we abandon our responsibility. That's not what I'm talking about, and you know that. But what I'm talking about is the relationships which are more important to God than what we call ministry can begin to be what they ought to be when we start trusting God instead of our own flesh to make something happen. He walked away from it, folks. He walked away from it. God opened a door of ministry, and he walked away from it for the benefit of a friend that might be in trouble. You want to achieve ministry today? Is that what people want in the 21st century? Is that what makes everybody happy? It's the same price tag in the church as it is in the world. There are a lot of businessmen that are successful, but all oh, listen to me, at what expense? And so we see that when we experience God, we see doors open for ministry. We say, Wayne, I'm not quite with you because if he walked away, how could God even use him? Well, listen to the second part of this. The second thing is, when we experience Christ, his life in us will be a sweet-smelling aroma. I got to go out and eat with two guys not long ago. We were having the best time. And this, this lady that was the attendant at the table kept walking by, and she kept sniffing. I didn't know if it was the food we were eating or what it was she was getting her attention. And finally, she just stopped, and she said, I got to know who's wearing, and she made a quote of a, of a cologne. I don't know who, if the other two guys were wearing it or not, but I remembered the name of it, went home. That's what I was wearing. <laughs> My wife bought it for me. I didn't know what it was. But she, it picked up. She picked up that fragrance. And every time she walked by our table, she'd go, come right back. And she wanted to know, who's wearing this? Who's wearing this? There's a fragrance. There's a sweet smell, a sweet aroma 
to a person that's experiencing Christ. When we allow Christ to conquer us in our attitudes, and we allow Christ to conquer us in our, our agendas, and we allow Christ to conquer us in our selfish desires, oh, the sweet aroma that now emanates as we meet people in life. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now, he's selling us something here. The most beautiful picture is drawn here from the Roman culture of Paul's day when he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In Roman times when there was a great victory, the victory processional was absolutely a thrilling spectacle beyond anything you and I have seen in our day. The processional was granted only by the Senate when they, real, when they realized certain conditions had to be met. The victory had to be total, and it had to be complete. There had to be at least 5,000 people slain in that victory. The territory of Rome had to be extended because of that victory and what it meant to that country. Going before the triumphal possession procession, they were, uh, they were decorating flowers everywhere, decorating all the temples. There were flowers everywhere. Matter of fact, they took the petals of the flowers and put them on the streets to where they were. you had to wade through them so that when the horses came down the streets, they would step on those petals and a fragrance would emanate from that. Incense from burning spices was shaken all around and on the doorpost and in the temples, adding to the aroma of the flowers, filling the air with a sweet-smelling fragrance. It was the sweet smell of a victory that had been won. The sweet smell announced that great victory, and people, when they smell that aroma, oh, oh, uh, the general has conquered somebody, and they all came out and gathered around the streets to witness their procession. All the spoils of war, the gold, the silver, the precious art, all were openly displayed as to what was taken in that battle. The conquering general, though, was the, was the focus of it all. The conquering general was put into a special kind of chariot, drawn by four horses. He had a robe on that was embroidered with gold and laced with flowers. In his right hand, he had a laurel branch. In his left hand, he had a golden scepter, which was the picture of who he was as that general and the power that he had. But chained to his chariots were the generals that he had conquered in that battle who would later be taken to a public place and executed. Paul says that God always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is trying to show us is that we are the conquered. We are those, when we have allowed Christ to conquer us, we are the ones chained to his chariot. Christ, when we have bowed before him, not only has us captive, but he has our gold and he has our silver. Everything that we own now is his. He leads us in his victory. Can you imagine? You say, Wayne, I don't like the idea of me being a chained captive. Oh, my friend, I love it. Because everywhere he would go, it was triumph. We are led in his victory. He's our Lord and our master. We're not our own. But we have been conquered by his love and by his grace. And when a believer allows Christ to do that in his life, to conquer him, to capture him, Paul says that God manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. When Christ conquers our uh, attitude, when Christ conquers our agenda, and when Christ conquers our selfish desires and actions, 
there's that sweet aroma. It's painful. It's painful. But at it all, oh, is it so sweet? The aroma of knowing Him, experiencing Him, that flows out and touches everybody. Now listen, wherever we are, the words knowledge of Him is the word gnosis. This is the word that comes from experiential knowledge. People know that you can never really experience him until you've allowed him to conquer you in the different areas of your life. When a believer is willing to allow Christ to break him as a horse is broken by his master, it's a sweet thing. He gets to experience Christ, and that aroma of knowing him flows out and touches others. He says in verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. Do you realize whether they're lost or whether they're saved, they still see that, they smell that fragrance. They understand the sweetness of a life that has been so tenderized, a life that has been so conquered by the Christ that lives within him that people say there's something different about that individual. How many times flying on planes you see people with an attitude that has an aroma that's sour and full of death? I think I told you what Ron Dunn said that time when he was standing behind a person at a Delta counter, and that person was just chewing out that little old ticket agent who had nothing to do with anything. And he stepped up and said, how in the world do you put up with people like that? And that little agent said, smiled and said, oh, it didn't bother me. I just checked his bags to Hong Kong. <laughs> That's not the way you handle it, but I tell you one thing. If you peg people as being Christian and how they acted in places like that, then you would understand quickly what this passage is talking about. You see, he's being led. He's chained to his chariot. You say he walked away from ministry. I say, no, I said it wrong. He was led away from ministry to look for a friend because when you're chained to the chariot, you don't tell the commander which way you're going. You're chained to him, and wherever it is, Christ in you touches people around you. What does it mean to experience Christ? It means to understand ministry in a whole different way, that doors are opened by him, not by us. And we don't have to sustain it. He does. And relationships are important. And the way we treat people is important. But we also become a sweet-smelling fragrance and aroma of the Christ that lives within us. You may see a pagan person somewhere, and they have no clue who you are. They have no clue what you represent. They know this, only this. You're different. You're different. And like that sweet-smelling perfume. Thirdly, when we experience Christ, we're going to experience something we never had before. We're going to experience the pain, and we're going to experience the joy of people's response to that fragrance that's in us. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 15 through 17 says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And then Paul, overwhelmed by this whole truth, says, Who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. When we're experiencing Christ, His message of grace that has tenderized us and made us a sweet-smelling aroma of one that's conquered by His Lordship, chained to His chariot, will reach out to many, and many will receive it, but many will reject it. 
There's a twofold consequence of walking with God. There's the joy of one receiving. There's the pain of one rejecting. To some, it'll be a message of life. To others, it'll be a message of death. Paul says, to the one in aroma from death to death, they're already in death. They'll spend eternity in death. They'll die twice. But to the other from life to life, they'll not only know physical life, but they'll know spiritual everlasting life. To those who are the living, it's the sweet aroma of life everlasting. But to those who are dying, it's the sour odor of death. And Paul realizes the sobering responsibility of one who shares the gospel, and he recognizes how it's either going to be received or it's either going to be rejected. And he said, who is adequate for these things? This has to be God's work. There's no man that can set this thing up and make it a program. When we experience God in our lives, we experience the greatest evangelist that ever lived. You know that? You know, I know that all the training and all the different things for evangelism are wonderful, but I want to tell you something. You cannot give an individual, and that's the passion and a burden to want to do anything about it. But when we have Christ living in us, the heart of the greatest evangelist that so loved the world that he came to die for us, that burden gets a hold of us, and we can't help but share. All of a sudden, evangelism is no longer a cause. All of a sudden, evangelism is a consequence, and wherever we go, that aroma is flowing out of us. And, and, and a little lady told me last night, she said, you know, I can't even walk anymore that I don't want to stop somebody and ask them if they're saved. I, she said, I've never been like this before. That's what it's like. Those who experience him are not like the ones who peddle the Word of God. There are a lot of people in it for themselves. The word peddle has the idea of hawking in verse 17. For we're not like many peddling the Word of God, Paul says, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. The phrase peddling the Word of God refers to those false teachers, which evidently were just rampant in Corinth. And there were some of these false teachers that were questioning his apostleship that he spends the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians defending. Well, Paul is drawing a line between himself and them, and he says, I want you to see the difference. They might even be saying the right things. They might even be going through the motions. But I want you to know that what we say is in sincerity. It's in Christ. It's his words. It's just emanating out of us. We, we can't help it. We've been conquered by him. We're chained to his chariot. It's his message that we bear wherever we go. He lives experiencing Christ in his life. Can I ask you today, are you experiencing Christ in your life? Are you seeing doors of ministry open to you? I'm not talking about necessarily ecclesiastical ministry. I'm talking about just ministry with a neighbor. Do you see doors of ministry? Do you see others respond to the fragrance of Christ in your life? Are you seeing that? Do you feel the pain but also the joy of people who either reject or people who respond to the gospel we share? A man said years ago, we live such subnormal lives that when we see something that's normal from Scripture— we think it's abnormal because it throws our understanding. Well, let me just leave you with this. When you come up with the idea and when you want it done your way, you're going to have to do it. Relationships are going to be ruined at the expense of a door you open. And there's a bad aroma that will flow out of your life. It's sour. It's of death. It's not of the fragrance, the sweet smell, the fragrance of one conquered by Christ. And the pain that you feel will not be the pain that comes from the righteous pain. It's pain that we inflict upon ourselves because we are number one in what we do.
What's the middle letter of the word sin? Ooh. What's the middle letter of the word pride? There's your problem right there. And until I is conquered by Christ, we can't experience the Christ that lives within us. It's still us. It's still up to us. We have to prop up what we come up with. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 